Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Hello, Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we work with CEOs and the leadership team to help them understand what type of new destination they want to get to, and we help them figure out how to get there by maximizing their people, their process, and their systems as one effective team. If you want to learn more, please go to 40strategy.com. Before we introduce our guests, I would first like to do a shout out to who introduced us to Jarrett Ransom. That is Terry Sidford. Terry Sidford is a speaker, author, life coach, podcast host, and a friend of the show. And she also has the Choose Courage movement on Facebook. So I encourage you to go there, take a look. She's a fantastic human being. And, um, and I think Jared and I would both say a wonderful, wonderful person. So I encourage you to go to there, learn more about Terry Sedford. So thank you, Terry. Um, now introducing our guest, Jared. Jared Ransom is known as the nonprofit nerd. I love that. By the way, I'm an accounting geek. And so I love it. We could both be accounting nerd and nonprofit nerd. She began her consulting firm in 2009 and works exclusively with nonprofits. She's passionate about creating community, empowering others to see and exceed their full potential. She wears many hats and under her leadership and guidance her teams across the nation raise millions of dollars every year to support and sustain their mission. The Ravion Group has helped create sustainable fundraising strategies start up to multi-million dollar charitable organizations. As president and CEO of this group, Jarrett consults with nonprofits to help them see the future of their organization, not just their immediate needs, but several years down the road by providing strategic planning, three, five, and 10 years and beyond. In addition, Jarrett is the co-host of the American Nonprofit Academy's nonprofit profit show where she brings her dynamic energy and enthusiasm which you're going to hear in just a moment to the weekly show featuring nonprofit thought leaders and topics from around the globe she has served as host and mc for a variety of in-person and live events jared and her son live in it to adventure and explore the great outdoors they have currently visited 13 national parks and are planning on seeing all of them together which is pretty darn cool jared welcome to the show Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here with you. And, you know, geeks, nerds alike, they, those are my people. So I am excited to get nerdy with you. Just as one point of clarification, so the Raven Group is the name of the company. And Raven happens to be my middle name. So I'm one of those lucky kids that my parents decided to merge family names and combine it into one name, which is Raven, R-A-Y-V-A-N. It sounds like the bird, but it's spelled completely different. So um, super excited to, to be here with you. Now's when I should uh, put on my nerd glasses, Carl, because I have them on brand. If, if I had your address, we're going to exchange that later. I'll make sure that, that you, a fellow geek, get your pair as well. So for those of you that may not be able to see that visual, it's, you know, your typical black rimmed glasses with the athletic tape on the nose bridge because it's super nerdy. 
that was amazing that you actually pulled that out, put them on. And, and that that's as uh, good as geeky and nerdy as you can be. So I love it. And so thank you. Thank you. So tell us more about your core business and, and what, what you do. Yeah. So as you mentioned in my bio, and thank you so much, I started my company in 2009. And I always like to say that that happened by default. I was a reduction in force during that economic crisis and downturn. My parents are both entrepreneurs. So I grew up in the environment and a culture of, you know, high risk, high reward, never thought I would go out on my own. And in fact, Carl, both of my parents begged me not to, which then of course meant I had to because the rebellion side of me was like, oh, you tell me not to. Okay, that's exactly what I want and what I'm going to do. So I started this again by default in 2009. I was running a $21, $21 million organization in the Metro Phoenix area. When you know the economic crisis uh, took hold, I was asked to lay off my team. Six months later, I was laid off. And I will tell you and witness to everyone watching, listening, nothing, no school, no certificate, no coaching prepares you for unemployment. And that was when I truly thought, okay, now what do I do? And the resiliency and the rebellion and all of that really kicked into high gear, Carl. And that's when I started the Raven Group in 2009. Just like everything, you know, I've had this growth mindset of where do I want to be? How do I want to serve? Who do I want to be each and every day? So my company as myself has continued to evolve and I'm just so honored and, and blessed to be where I am today, working nationwide exclusively with the nonprofit sector and helping organizations do more good in and around their communities. So there's a variety of services in which I offer. Most of them I'm sure we will share today in our conversation. And really, you know, I love nerding out over the nonprofit space. And so I, I found myself saying, oh my gosh, I could talk about nonprofits until you're blue in the face because I will never become blue in the face. It's just, I eat, breathe, sleep, nonprofit talk. So I thought, well, damn, I'm clearly the nonprofit nerd. Hence the rebrand of the Raven Group and almost my, you know, my my second name, nonprofit nerd. So again, thank you for having me here. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so I'm curious for you. You know, you come in, you see different organizations. What is the most common problem or challenge that a not-for-profit organization has? You know, it breaks my heart, but we in the nonprofit sector often brag about how much we do with so very little. And it's that scarcity mindset that is almost worn as a badge of honor. And that is why, in addition to everyone in our nation right now experiencing burnout, experiencing compassion fatigue, this great resonation that our nation is undergoing, you know, it really has been that that badge of honor and it shouldn't be it really should not be and so looking at this you know the the pay gap the wage salaries everything that our nonprofit sector has kind of been braggadocious to say well i know i could make three times the salary if i worked for corporate america but i'm okay making pennies and living paycheck to paycheck so they this culture of the scarcity mindset, it is too much. And we really need to be at a place where that is no longer a point of pride. We really need to pay our staff in a livable way. And we need to think 
by through abundance, right? And, and to create these financial resources that continue our mission and continue to serve our talent and our rock star staff in a way that allows them to live a life that's conducive to thriving. Okay, so I wasn't planning to go down this path, but I think it's inherent with, with people who had an enough for profit is often they're heading into there because they believe so much in what they're doing and contributing and, and they try to say that money's not important to them, right? So how do you get individuals who have that scarcity mindset to flip and go, well, it's actually critical that we change the way we're doing. What, what strategies, if you may, do you help people to turn their mindset to go, no, it's important for you to pay your employees the right salary. Other you're going to lose great people. It's important for you to not do things for, for 20 bucks, but for market wages. No, it's important for you to grow because if you can't grow, you can't expand your mission. How do you get people to change that? Because I think it's such a hard thing where people have this fixed budget. It doesn't grow, right? You know, typical kind of, if you may, a lot of government type thinking thinks this way. I'm stuck within my budget. And the only way I get more money is by asking for more. How do you, how do you change that? So education, 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 and it starts with the funders, right? Because the nonprofit sector should have a diversified uh, portfolio of financial resources. That could be granting foundations, private, corporate, government, the board. So all of the board of directors, every nonprofit is required by law to have a governing board of directors. And as, as little as three, as much as, gosh, a lot. <laughs> All of that's different. So truly, Carl, it's education. And, you know, for so long and still today, there's a conversation of, well, what is your overhead fee? What is the cost of your administration? And I really like to be disruptive in that to say, it's not so much our overhead, it's our impact. So let's talk about the more we can make an impact with the more money we're able to secure and to bring in. One of the ways that I like to coach, and again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm sure my service lines will come out in conversation. So I do strategic planning and it's not that one and done board retreat. It is a four part series. It's an annual partnership and it is fraught and just filled with education. So it's really turning these concepts on, on their head to say, okay, what could we do with more money? And could we retain our talent? Could we you know, do more? And, and that's the truth, more money, more mission. And so why not bring in more money? And then again, you know, when we look at this turnover and the rate within our nonprofit sector, it is right there with, you know, across, across the nation and other challenges. So, you know, really that education piece to say, okay, it is not about doing more with little, it's about doing more with more. And that's what we're here to do. You know, we want to pay our staff, we want to be able to serve everyone in our community. The whole point of a nonprofit, truly, for those of you that may not know, is to help provide a solution to a community problem. So if you've identified a community problem and there is a solution that can be you know, mitigated, solved, eradicated, cured through this nonprofit, that is truly that, that mission moment. So again, the more money, the more mouths we can feed, the more, you know, homes we can provide, the more education we can we can allow. So I'm all about the money. And in fact, anytime I go to a networking uh, meeting and they they ask you, you know, what do you do? And it's like, 
I put profit back into nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So did they squirm when you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, well, what do you mean? And I love telling this story, Carl. And again, it's like, who knows, who knows what path and journey we're going to go down in this conversation. But years and years ago, I don't know how many, I, I was on a date. So again, per, you know, personal date, having dinner with this gentleman across the table. He works for a very large corporation here in my town in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was that whole, you know, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I work with nonprofits. The room went quiet. He went quiet and he goes, so how do you make money? Right. And it was like, oh my gosh, clearly you're not a philanthropist if you don't understand this, right? You're not my people. But I jokingly in my banter and my sarcasm, I said, I don't, you are buying dinner, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's clearly this education of the nonprofit sector. And again, that was a personal story, but it's just, again, it's, it's across the board. There's not enough education. I, I, it's interesting. I work with both. I primarily work with for-profit organizations, uh, companies, but I also work with nonprofits as well. And it was, I, I was just listening to Mike McCallowich, if you're familiar with him, he's written several books and a lot of about entrepreneurial business type thinking, but he said this really interesting thing. He said, 99% of all organizations are the same. Like, it's like the DNA, right? You were all the same as humans. We're all the same, but this 1% is what's the difference in our eye color and our skin. And you may, it's, it's the outward appearance, but underneath the hood, so to speak, we're all the same. We all have a heart. We all have a brain. We have lungs, et cetera, you know, that help drive who we are. So it's interesting as I view for-profits and not-for-profits is actually the same thing. We're selling something different, but it's the same thing. And they all have to have profits. It's amazing how many entrepreneurs run their business like a non-for-profit. Yes. Right. They're so passionate about their business. They don't pay themselves either. And that's also unhealthy. That's right. Yeah. So, so once again, this is about education, right? How do we get the nonprofit to not feel squirmy? You mentioned you get people to think of, okay, it's about providing more. What this kind of means though, is you have to effectively have a sales, we call it something different. It's fundraising. Mm -hmm. How do you get people to feel comfortable with that fundraising part that once again, if you don't get more money, you cannot provide more. So how, how do you get them to change and feel less, feel more comfortable for lack of a better term, right? Of asking for money. You are so right. And again, I can nerd out over this for hours. I know we don't have that long. So for those of you listening, don't worry, this isn't going to to last hours. Fundraising is also known as the F word, right? And so there are so many people that are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fundraise. I'm really uncomfortable asking for money. This is at the top, the CEOs. This is the board of directors that are super uncomfortable at all through the organization, right? It's like, oh, no, I don't know. And again, there's there's me, Carl, I love it. And I said this to you before we went live on the podcast is I love asking people for money. Now I haven't always, I will tell you when I started in my career over 20 years ago, I was super uncomfortable. I, I wasn't experienced, I, I wasn't knowledgeable, I wasn't confident, right? And I had I had a boss at that time and she told me, well, this is this is essentially our right. We're a nonprofit. We get the opportunity to invite people to make an investment in the organization. It wasn't until then that I thought, 
Wow, that is a different way to think about it. And so I have coached and under my leadership and guidance, again, as, as my bio read in a very formal manner, so many organizations have raised so much more money than what they ever thought they would because they were equipped to do so. They had the narrative, they had the case for support, they knew exactly what the money was going to do and to make that impact. And so just as you know, another point of pride, I've been with an organization as their interim COO now for about the last 90 days during this 90 days not only you know for me but but again so so much has happened in such a short amount of time they have secured 2.5 million dollars in 90 days 90 days 2.5 transformational life-changing for the community in which they serve this is an organization that was at 1.5 and through strategic conversations partnerships and asks solicitations, fundraising, using that F word, $4.5 million. And so again, they are able to do more with more. Love it. And I want to go back to something else you were talking about is how in your strategic planning services that you provide. My experience is often as a strategic consultant comes in and they only do quote unquote, the retreat. I'm going to want to ask the question before I put my own thoughts into it. Why is that important? Interesting. So most of the organizations, when I say organizations, these are nonprofits. And again, I typically serve C3s and C6s. So C3s is that charitable organization. You might think of it as Goodwill, Salvation Army, your local food bank, your animal shelter. C6 is more of a, a membership-based organization. So this could be your chamber of commerce. This could be an association. So it really is built and their stakeholders are made of memberships. So again, for those of you that aren't as nerdy or geeky as the two of us, C3s and C6, that's that's the, the brass You're referring to 501C3 is like, for those who are familiar, 501, so you're such a geek, you're like already C3 and C6, it's a 501C3, 501C6, but yeah. yes, that's exactly right what you're referring to, those C3 and C6 respectively. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yes, I go straight to the C3 and C6. So 501, C3 and C and C6. So really most of the bylaws, if not all of the bylaws will say that there needs to be an annual meeting. And in that annual meeting, X, Y, and Z needs to take place. And so many of these organizations are checking the box to say done. We met, we had coffee and bagels, we had lunch, and then we ended with cocktails. We had a social component. You know, we signed all the documents. Maybe they didn't sign the documents because that too doesn't happen. And then we talked about where we're going in the future. We'll put this in a pretty, you know, binder. It'll sit on a shelf, but we did it. We can check the box. And that clearly is not enough. I have been with too many organizations that have done just that. And probably you have too, Carl, where they have all the great intentions. They check the box and then they do nothing. So again, turned it on its head to say, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not helping you check the box. I am offering services in an annual partnership in which you work with me and I work with you side by side throughout the year in a four part, very strategic codified process in which I have, have, you know, coined it for me, the strategic success system. And it really is for organizations that are looking to scale and sustain their mission, their organization, their vision at a whole new level. So this isn't for those startup nonprofits, truly, it's probably for that million and a half looking to go to four and a half million. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, 
the, the, you said so many port that, by the way, what you described is not too different that happens in for-profit companies on a regular basis. There's this, how many organizations they'll have a strategic retreat. And, and I feel sometimes the real purpose that they're doing is just to also check off a box. It's doing the same thing year after year. They have some nice wine. Like you mentioned, they have a little retreat. They have a day and a half off of the regular day-to-day work. But they're, they, as soon as they leave, they forget about all the strategic plan they have and they get caught back in the business, so to speak, right, of doing what they do. And therefore, all those great ideas often never happen, right? And, and I, would, I would argue, why even waste the money of showing up? Because it costs you money just to show up. And so why not create a valuable? But you have to have follow-ups, right? Because um, rarely in that retreat, especially if you still have the wine hangover from the, the next day, rarely do you know all the hows, right? And, and how to execute it. So there's this next part. I'm kind of curious. So tell us about the four. You mentioned the four parts. So what's after the retreat? What's step two? Yeah. So there's some pre-work before the retreat and then, and I've kind of stopped kind of, it's still in my vernacular, but I'm doing my best to, to eliminate the word retreat and the word facilitate because it doesn't come at that advanced and enhanced value, right? It is more or less that, that comprehensive, we need to check the box. So there's some pre-work before the, the strategic session. And then that's what I'm going to use strategic session instead of. facilitate a retreat and then we come together in that strategic session and then after it is really building the plan executing the plan analysis right of the plan we need to analyze and see what we put into place is it working where are we to go what are these kpi or key performance indicators that we need to consider and then they need to be discussed at every single board meeting um I also like to have a co-champion. So there's a co-champion of the entire plan. And then each goal has a co-champion. For me, I make um, one of those champions internal being a part of the staff. And then the other champion should be a board complement. So that way, these two can champion the initiative, the goal, the plan itself, hold each other accountable and work in tangent to hold the rest of the team accountable for moving these goals forward. Now we've all lived through our, you know, these last two years of uncertainty. So there's a lot of course correct. I will tell you, Carl, right? The 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 clients that have worked with me through this this annual partnership, this is a great opportunity because if you only have that one and done retreat and you check the box, chances are it's a moot point and everything you put down on paper is obsolete. So you really need to have this as a fluid document in which you can continue to course correct. Again, back to this one client that I mentioned earlier, they accomplished their goal within six months. Well, now what do we do? We have six months, right? So let's let's move from our parking lot, add it into our plan and continue forward motion. So really having this dynamic plan, essentially a strategic process, because it is a process, have it fluid, have it live and continue to talk about it so that it doesn't collect dust is really where the organizations and the leadership see the most positive change. One of the things I like to say is strategic planning is a hypothesis, not a fact. Yes. Right. That's, that's great. You know, and, 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 and so, and, and the why is once again, is, is because of there is always uncertainty, you know, as soon as you quote unquote hit the beach or go to battle or whatever, whatever analogies you want to say metaphors, 
you cannot predict all of the real challenges. And sometimes some of these strategies aren't going to work. And I think the hardest thing is to stop doing them, right? Because we have all these super smart, highly energetic people. They're like, oh, we can do it. We can do it. And it's like, well, we were wrong, right? And to have the courage to say, hey, we need to stop doing that. Do you ever run into that where you, you, you found that something doesn't work? And how do you help your team, you know, people you're working with to say, you know, that, that isn't working. We, we banged our head enough on that wall. It's time to stop. What, what strategy you use to help people get to there? Cause I find some people, I, I, I was with one company. It took two and a half years for them to see that a wonderful idea wasn't going to work and spent millions of dollars, right. Supporting this. How do you get people to get stopped before it becomes a two and a half million dollar waste? You know, so one of the things in the nonprofit sector, especially as we talked about that scarcity mindset, the nonprofit sector is really not keen on taking big chances. So mm-hmm. when it comes to financial investments and is this going to work? How will we measure success? Again, oftentimes the nonprofit sector is not privileged to make a million dollar or two million dollar mistakes. Right. <laughs> so right. really looking at uh, the KPIs, what does success look like? You know, let's continue to measure this as we grow. And then when do we pull the plug? When do we sunset this initiative or our goal to say, okay, you know what? We did it. We tried it. It's not working. Proof is in the pudding. Here's our numbers. Again, you know, I, I bring my master's of business administration into the nonprofit sector, which is still quite new to the nonprofit sector because most of the organizations are fueled by passion, right? Passion, but we really have to have these business principles and the mindset so that we're not making emotional decisions, we're making business decisions. Uh, nonprofits, regardless of the 501c3 or 501c6, it's a business structure. It's just a tax exempt structure. So making business decisions and not emotional decisions based off of passion, it's really, it's the metrics, it's the numbers to say, okay, this is what success looks like. What is our threshold for when we say no more? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you measure success in your core business, you know, and with your clients, but what, what is that thing, if you may, that that's truly measuring success? You know, so I I hear this question, Carl, and and I'm going to internalize it and take it for me personally, and and hopefully that's that's your desire for for the outcome. My definition of success has changed since 2009, right? Or really since, gosh, probably I graduated college in 99, 99. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do I want to be, and and how do I want to live my life? And I could not have envisioned my life today back in 99, 1999. So where I am today is, wow, I am floored. There are so many opportunities in my journey and in my way that I'm just shocked. I'm in awe. And again, never would have thought this was my life. I also never thought that I would get paid to speak (laughs) when I was the kid in class getting in trouble for speaking, which now I'm sorry, son, you're getting it. You're, you're getting the same wrath that I did. I have an 11 year old son. He's in middle school and he always gets in trouble for speaking. But here I am with, you know, a mass communication undergrad, a theater minor, and I love what I do. And so my success, again, 
it was how much money can I make? What is that glass ceiling, especially when it comes to women and, and women empowerment? And I want to seat at the table and I want to shore up this this pay gap. Um, success to me, honestly, now, Carl, looks like vacations. It looks like a mountain home, which thank you, Terry Sidford, for helping me find this love for Park City, Utah. I have secured, again, what I find successful is a second home, a condo in Park City where I can take these vacations and I can enjoy some downtime because success need, you know, you can't continue to peak and peak and peak without having some valleys of rest, some valleys of self-care, some valleys of just pure replenishment and renewal. So while I'm still motivated by financial success, I am also equally motivated by spending quality time with my family, uh, visiting these national parks, right? We have a lot more to see. We've only been to 13 and there's plenty more here in the US. I know there's there's more outside of the US, but really our goal is to see the, the US national parks together. So I'm finding my own balance and my own definition of success each and every year. It's one of the things that I define as I define my goals for the year is how do I define or redefine success? So I, I hope that was, again. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I think you, you, it's interesting. You did incorporate both parts into it. I uh, have had, we had the privilege of having on, um, I, I won't spoil it too much of, of a show coming up here, but anyways, a very successful um, venture capitalist. And he said, I measure by freedom. Yes. And, and I loved that. I love that concept around it because we both know once you get to a certain point in money, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Meaning your happiness, your joy, Yeah. right? You know what I mean? It, 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 there's a certain threshold and the data is there. It's like, once you can pay your regular bills and you have some freedom and you're not worrying about paying your next utility bill and you have a little bit of vacation time, et cetera, any more money won't make you any happier, but it will exemplify or put an explanation point on who you are, right? You know I mean? So if you're a really super nice person or giving, you're going to give a lot more. If you're not such a nice guy, it's going to amplify that. And, and, and that's, that's what's fascinating. I found, you know, with, with talking with stories about people measuring their success. And I love it how you're saying, so which is your next national park you're trying to get to? So believe it or not, I haven't done many in California. So I was born and raised in the Southeast, Georgia, South Carolina. And then of course we reside here in Arizona. So we've done a couple of those. Again, working nationally, I've had the opportunity to take my son with me to very client meetings and, and areas, I, I will say. So we've been able to do some like in Maine, right? We did Acadia, we did uh, Mount Rainier in, in Washington. So we've kind of hit a, you know, several different ones, but I would love to, to add on to the venture capitalist that, that you just shared. So my why, thank you, Simon Sinek, is freedom, flexibility, and travel. So as a single mom, as an entrepreneur, you know, for me, it's it's finding that balance of success through my why, which again is freedom, flexibility and travel. And, you know, that that marries the whole national park adventures, the outdoor excursions, the the mountain home in Park City, which will be up for rent soon. So if anyone's looking for a vacation. <laughs> intent it will be on uh, you know those those vacation rental properties so knowing your why and again I, I really just cannot stress I believe everyone has their own definition of success and it's okay to change it 
I, I think it's a great answer. I appreciate you sharing it. The uh, Have you been to Yosemite yet? So you said, have you? Oh, uh, it's not so far I, from where you are. It's not far. And I'm huge on these, you know, climbing documentaries and all of this outdoor adventure. If you can't tell, that's also a huge passion of mine is, is being in the outdoors. And so, yeah, California, that's on our list for national parks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I had, got to see it crater have you seen crater national park yet oh <laughs> okay okay well there there's a lot of amazing ones great so have you been to glacier yet no my son has okay has. i i haven't yet okay yeah glacier in my humble opinion is the my humble opinion is the prettiest place i've seen in the, in the continental u.s wow it, it's it's extraordinary and so anyways okay so what is a book that you would recommend our audience Oh my gosh. So I knew you're going to ask me this and I had to pull it up. Atomic Habits. That is the one I highly recommend. The author is James Clear. I talk about it in strategic planning. I talk about it, you know, really when it comes to habit stacking, it has everything to do with your personal life, your professional life, your strategic goals. I was able to talk to the World Affairs Council in Dallas, Fort Worth. A, a childhood friend of mine actually is the CEO there, and she had me talk to the board about disruption and innovation. And so I was able to pull up, you know, Atomic Habits and, and James Clear's focus really when it comes to habit stacking and making big changes. Oh, do you have it there? Big I, I know I've read it and I love it. And it, by the way, you're not the first person to recommend the book. I mean, it is an excellent book. It it's really make these changes in one degree turns, right? Like you can move a cruise ship, not with one fail swoop, right? It's really this one degree turn. So I was able to share that now, personally, again, when it comes to, to personal development, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Uh, so Brene has got a podcast on Spotify. That is something I go to for personal and professional growth. But I loved the Atomic Habit. And again, it just continues to serve me and my clients in multitudes of ways. That's awesome. Awesome. Great, great suggestion. So Jared, how can people find you and learn more about what you do? Yes. So again, uh, the company is The Raven Group, T-H-E-R-A-Y-V-A-N group.com. I'm on Instagram as nonprofit underscore nerd. You can find me there and would love to nerd out and, you know, see how I might be of service to you and, and your nonprofit. If you by chance would like someone to come in and make that big dollar ask at your upcoming event, I love to do that. That is an opportunity, again, that I would love to help you make more money so you can do more with your mission. I, I didn't talk about it today, but I, I really do believe that we all have our own money story. I had to work through my money story. So helping others get past their money stories and their blocks to success and to thrive. This isn't just about us individually. It's about us, you know, as a community. So Again, if that's something you would love to talk to me about, I do offer that service and I would love to stand in front of your room of people and passion and ask them to make an investment, a transformational gift to your organization. And again, you can find me at theravengroup.com. That is a tough, it's an important and such a critical part of the fundraising, especially the big, I think, what did you say? 13% is typically in, in December, the fundraising, is that correct? 
Yeah, I talk about the power of December. 13% of operating budgets are typically brought in, raised in December. But in the Q4, so the fourth quarter of every year, Carl, 30%, that's the national standard, the statistics, 30% of your operating budget is brought in in the final quarter each and every year. And so, you know, probably as you're listening to this now, you just wrapped up your Q4. And so really looking at uh, preparing for your next Q4, because if you're lucky, it'll come again. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That is, that is lovely. Well, Jerry, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And to all of our guests, as always, we thank you for listening and wishing, wishing you the very best at measuring your success and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.